Welcome to Flip the Library, a podcast from Gwinnett County Public Library. My name is Steve. I am the manager of the Grayson Branch. My name is Monor, and I'm a library associate at the Norcross Branch. And my name is Melissa, and I'm the manager at the Lilburn Branch. Libraries are not only a great place to feed your mind, but you can also feed your body. Today, we're speaking with some library staff members who can tell us all about this important part of the library's offering. I'm Laurie Bennett. I'm the cataloging librarian. My name is Becca Weber, and I am the early education library associate at the Grayson Branch. I'm Casey Wallace. I am the staff engagement manager for Gwinnett County Public Library. I am Lori, and I am a library associate at the Peachtree Court Branch. I'm Deborah Chandler. I'm a library associate at our Decula Branch. Well, let's start with the basics. What is culinary literacy and why should libraries have it on their plates? I can start with that definition there of culinary literacy and why it's important. The library does seek to provide education about a variety of literacies, not just print or text. And more and more, we've seen a lot of interest in hands-on learning and learning literacies that have to do with practices and methods that have to do with, I guess, what you would traditionally call home ec courses or adulting courses. That's been very popular. Culinary literacy fits right in with that. And then there's the intersection of physical health, nutritional health, mental health, all those things. There are so many touch points that food and nutrition connect with that learning the basics and learning the traditions or the methods that are involved with nutrition and cooking and food prep, there's so many ways to tie it into what is relevant for what people need for the next steps in their education, even including the workplace. There are a lot of jobs available in the food industry. Having a mobile kitchen, having culinary programming opens the door for a lot of those learning moments and information and ideas for customers to run with and and fulfill the needs that they have. One of the more traditional elements of culinary literacy is cookbooks. How can customers and staff utilize them to their full potential? And how does the library go about choosing the cookbooks that are in our collection? Uh, Tony Vickery is the selector for nonfiction. He works with me here in materials at headquarters. He likes to select all of the cookbooks that are on Baker and Taylor's premium list or premier list. I forget what it's called. He also takes suggestions from staff members and from patrons so that we get a greater variety in the number and kinds of cookbooks that we have. We have cookbooks in different kinds of cooking in different geographic areas of cooking, and in different languages. And I catalog them all. We also have them in electronic versions, in overdrive, so people can have a a physical cookbook or an electronic one. Baker and Taylor is like the distributor that we use, that we order items from, and there's a big list of things that they make as recommendations, but we can order whatever we want. We also have those food magazines that are quite popular to physical magazines and the virtual or electronic version. Thank you, Lori, so much for telling us about the process. And I would just like to remind all of our customers that if 
there is something that you don't see in the library, please see a library staff member. We will help you with placing a request to find the item that you were looking for. What are some examples of culinary literacy programs that the library offers? So currently right now, I'm in the midst of doing quite a bit of culinary literacy programs. Last week, I held a week-long cooking camp. The first couple of days were for those ages 7 to 11, and the last two days were for those ages 12 to 17. And then this week, we held a back-to-school savings program where I taught parents how to make and freeze breakfast sandwiches, egg bites, that type of stuff, so kids could have a hot meal in the mornings. That was quick and easy. Next month, I have a family cooking camp where there's one adult per one child, and we're going to teach them how to make breakfast tacos and smoothies. And then in October, I have a date night at the library program where the couple will be coming in learning how to make a delicious meal. If they have children, they can bring up to three children in elementary age. And in another part of the library, we'll have staff doing a STEAM-related craft and a STEAM-related story time. And I've also started an Alzheimer and dementia support group. And at that time, I'm also going to be teaching brain-healthy foods that will assist with brain health. So all of my programs, I'm currently at the Decula branch. And of course, if anyone's looking for culinary literacy programs, they can just always go to our website and look under the events and just search for culinary or cooking. And if they want a specific branch, they can select that location. They can also see if it's virtual. So if they want to see some of our virtual cooking programs, they can do that as well. That's awesome. That's like a really great like variety of programs that you're offering. So that's super cool to hear. I just wanted to mention that we have a lot of diverse staff. So there's a lot of programming on cooking from different cultures. There's a lot of programming on cooking using different utensils. I don't have any on the calendar right now, but I do a lot of Instant Pot, Air Fryer, Vitamix Blender type programming to help our customers utilize tools that they already have or tools that they might be looking to purchase for their kitchen. And that's something that for library staff that customers may not know about, we have a lot of equipment that library staff can use to demonstrate this kind of stuff. We'll talk a little bit more about one of the larger ones here in a minute. But Casey, do you want to talk a little bit about that collect that small collection that we have for staff to use? We have a centrally managed, I guess you would call it a library collection for internal use for our staff that facilitate programs. And in that collection, you will find instant an instant pot, some induction cooktops, pots, pans, utensil kits. We have a nice variety where we can demonstrate to the public things that they may have access to very easily in their own homes or might borrow from somebody or that might be on sale or that they can get a hold of that maybe they haven't had the experience with and they didn't want to incorporate that into their regular routine. But some of these tools can really provide cost-effective meals, the pre-planning, 
the steps involved with operating some of the the cookware that we've got to see somebody like them or somebody who is not a professional make a beautiful product out of these tools is really inspiring. And I think it makes people feel comfortable and capable and willing to sort of try before you buy sometimes or remember that instant pot that they got for Christmas that they never opened (laughs) and how that can have a positive effect on their daily life. And some of that is aspirational too. You know, Becca does some amazing pastry and cake recipes that are very, for some people might be a bit daunting, but when you see somebody step through it and walk through it, you know, it creates another avenue of creativity. And that kind of goes back to the value of this type of literacy is the library is not just a place where you come and get information. It's a place where you come and interact with that information. It's a place where you produce your own medium in a lot of ways. And this is another way to do that. Participatory program is the future of the library. And this is a way to do that. So at the Grayson branch, I myself have not done culinary programming quite recently. I've had a lot of focus more on my story times and establishing my crowd here since I'm newer to the location. But there are a couple staff members, Stacey Moira, Michelle DeGatano, that do really awesome culinary programs. So Stacey and Michelle have been doing one called Cooking with Kids. And so they do a registration only and, you know, max like 10 participants. But it means that these kids get hands-on experience and get to interact with like safety knives and get to try out recipes on their own, learning from one of our staff members. And they've had a lot of really good experiences with this program and some regulars who have come back each time to learn. So it's been super meaningful. And then we have... A couple other programs scattered here and there, but the fall is when we get our mobile kitchen. So we're really excited to plan some programs during that time for culinary. I wanted to back up something that Casey said that, you know, sometimes some of the programs can be daunting for people who have like appliances at home, like an instant pot. And I always kid that I've had an instant pot in the box for two years now. And I keep telling Lori at Peachtree Corner, she's going to have to tell me how to use it because I don't know how to use it. And also to not be afraid to make mistakes when you have the programming, because that shows that you're human and everybody makes mistakes when they're cooking. So like last week when I was doing the cooking camp, I was teaching the kids how to make pancakes and waffle. And I always told them that the number one rule of making pancakes and waffles is that the first one always burns and you always have to throw it away. So, you know, they kind of laughed about it. So it didn't make them feel bad if they overcooked it or something like that. You have to show that you're human. Thank you, Deborah. I'd like to share about Lil Burns Culinary Program. Ours is led by Danny and Greg. And we do cooking seasonally. And so our upcoming one is going to be September. And we use seasonal produce to make healthy meals. And the nice thing about seasonal cooking is that it's also more affordable and you're more likely to get local produce. So it's an in-person program and everyone is welcome. It's all ages. I do know that Caitlin at the Collins Hill branch has had the mobile kitchen this quarter. And I know she's been doing quite a number of cooking camps with children over the summer until it transfers over to the next branch. And coming up in, I think it's going to be January, 
at our branch at Tequila, we have a, we're starting a homeschool program every month that's STEAM related. But in January, we're also going to be working with our staff member, Sarah, at this branch who runs the garden tower. And she's going to be showing them about how to do the seedlings, how to put it in the garden tower. And then I'm planning on doing some type of culinary literacy involving some of the produce from the garden tower so they can see how it goes from seeds to actual items that they can pull and harvest and then what they can do with those fresh items for culinary literacy. To piggyback off of the tower gardens that we have going on on a you know annual basis, they're constantly revolving and getting planted and harvested, which is a great resource for customers to learn about and include in programming. There are some branches that have the benefit of having gardens too, but Grayson will have a garden coming up here soonish too. We don't know the actual end date for when it will be done, but when it is done, we'll be able to get outside either with kids or you know anyone really to plant the garden, work in the garden, and then harvest eventually, and then cook with it. That's the end goal, is to kind of have it be like a stages thing where they get to see in real time what it's like to have a garden if they can't have one at home. You know, maybe they live in an apartment and just can't do it, or they just don't have the time. But I'm really excited to put that to use because I think seeing the entire process from start to finish of gardening is a really beautiful thing. So I'm looking forward to that as well next year. Duluth has the beehive even, so that's producing honey, which is producing food. And they, they did a harvest recently of the honey. So that's another way that we can show different ways of culinary literacy of how food is produced, natural world. One other thing that we have in our garden is we just received a grant, and I don't remember who it was from. I think it might have been through GPLS. We received a grant for our garden to add plants to it to become more of like a pollinator and a butterfly garden. So we're part of the pollinator and butterfly trail that's going on through the state of Georgia. But the great thing that we have in our garden is a compost bin. So last week after we were doing our cooking camp, we took all of our vegetable and fruit extras like the stems and all that type of stuff. I took all the kids out to the compost bin and we explained the process of composting and how it helps and how our compost now goes into our pollinator garden and how it helps it grow and attract more pollinators. But we, we talked earlier about the culinary equipment available for staff and several times people have mentioned a mysterious mobile kitchen. So let's talk about that a little bit and what is the mobile kitchen? What's part of it? How did the library get such a thing? And what kinds of additional opportunities does it open up for library programming? Well, I can tell you that our culinary programming began with smaller equipment, smaller devices, even some stuff that staff would bring in from home and give it a test run and see if it it works as a programming device. And what this does is it gives us a pilot program to refer back to. It gives us a track record of success. We have attendees that we can point to that say, hey, there's an audience for this. And with all of the other goals, such as the general knowledge and access to better health and better nutrition and job skills and those types of things, the kitchen space makes it possible to hold classes. So not just demonstrations, 
not just ad hoc or pieced together programs that are then facilitated by somebody, but actually kind of an all-in-one system that we can unfold, conduct a class, and fold it back up. So it just becomes easier for us to deliver those end products to the public, to the community. And having a track record and having previous programs and examples to point to allowed us to ask grant makers and funders to support this. And that's what we did. I believe it was the Jackson and Walton EMCs made the mobile kitchen possible. And we don't house it just in one location. We actually have it take a turn at a different branch that can support it throughout the year. And it's on display for the public. So when they see it, they say something. Usually it's pretty exciting to walk into a library and see a fully functioning kitchen cart. And they ask questions. What is this? When can we use it? (laughs) Oh, you're going to do classes? When are those? You know, my friend, my child, my partner, we all want to come. So it's definitely an attention getter. And it, again, makes people say, I didn't know the library did that. I didn't know the library had that. And that's the type of re-engagement we need with our regular foot traffic, even. That's a very important part of connecting maybe the more traditional side of culinary literacy, which would be our collection, cookbooks, how-tos, and the more progressive forward movement of the programming, which is participatory, generating content in addition to just absorbing it. So you can see the progression and the evolution of the library service within the scope of this topic. The mobile kitchen was initially located at the new Duluth branch. And one of our first programs that we had with it was a middle school teacher from Duluth Middle that walked a group of her students down after school. We learned knife skills. We made a veggie pizza. We understood, you know, par baking as opposed to regular baking and why it makes your pizza crust crispier. And a lot of nutrition facts. We also compared the cost difference between making a homemade pizza versus a carry out pizza versus a frozen pizza and why it was more economical to be making your own. So it was a really great learning experience for those students and a really great opportunity to have a town-centered library within walking distance of the school that this teacher that would not have been able to facilitate this without a library nearby was able to have this group of students come down after school you know, have a program and and it was a great opportunity for all of us. What types of culinary literacy programming was the library able to provide during the pandemic, especially at the beginning when we were making a lot of virtual content? When the pandemic started, it was kind of like this mad dash to provide like something, anything for people. And I myself just kind of find peace and happiness when I'm cooking or baking. So I was like, well, I'm doing this all the time anyway. Let me just put a camera in front of myself in the kitchen and see how poorly it turns out. And it turns out it didn't 
didn't go poorly. It went pretty well. And so I started this little baking series on our YouTube channel for the library called Baking with Becca, really simple, where I just walk people through a demonstration in my own kitchen of how to do some different recipes that I have done a lot or that are seasonally appropriate, that kind of thing. There was a lot of trial and error with it. As a lot of people in the system learned, filming yourself is way more challenging than you think it will be. There's a lot of stage fright, even though you're just on your own. (laughs) But it was a great learning experience. And I feel like we were able to offer a ton of amazing programs that some people just wouldn't have ever been able to see if we did them in person. So the fact that we pre-recorded and were able to put them on a channel that can be accessed anytime is really great. I haven't done any in a while, but I think I might pop one into uh, the rotation coming up here because it's always fun to bring stuff back. When the pandemic hit, that was actually my very first day at the library at training with Casey. And we got the email that night that we were going to be at home. And so I was trying to think of over the summer ideas of ways that I could do programming. And one of the things that came to mind was cooking and teaching cooking on a platform that taught about health. So I started a program called Special Diets, Special Needs. So it focused on like low sugar, vegan, that type of different things. And the first thing that I did was I emailed Rebecca because I had seen her baking with Becca programs. And I was like, brilliant. I can probably do something like that. And then I realized that in doing one of the video programs, how much work you really have to put into it. It's a lot more work than doing a program in person. And you have to have good equipment. You have to have good lighting. You have to realize that when you talk, you really need a script, all that kind of thing. And it was just, it was very informative for me in just learning how to do something like that. So in the process, I think it really helped make better programming for people who can't come into the library even now. It's a way to access those customers who can't come into the branch. And I think what Becca started, it was just really brilliant. I know in a previous episode, we heard about the Tease Around the World program. That was a culinary program. That was very popular. I did not realize so many people liked tea. I love the fact that they made that series almost kind of like Great British Baking Show, where it just really had that feel. They were so charismatic and really delightful to watch. So I think a lot of people probably watched it for the entertainment and then ended up learning a lot about teas. Well, and I was going to say with the virtual programming, it gave us a chance to do things that we could never do in the branch. There was grilling. There were the homesteading classes and things like that. that we we just cannot, for health reasons, do some of them, safety reasons. You know, we don't want to have a grill with small children running around. And so it allowed us to to do programming that we can't do in the branch, but people still want to learn about. So virtual programming was really a great outlet for those of us that wanted to cook with other foods that we could not do in person in the branch. I remember one particular program. It might be like the homesteading program that Lori was talking about, but I do remember one of our staff members, and I don't remember her name, I'm sorry, but she did one about canning, canning maybe, like how to can stuff. And I'm very interested in that, and I'm also terrified of it. So it was really cool to watch her videos of how she did the canning stuff. 
Gwinnett County Public Libraries was chosen to give a presentation on this topic at the American Library Association's annual conference in Washington, D.C. this summer. So can you all tell us about that experience and the kind of feedback you received from other libraries? Our ALA presentation actually began in August of last year when the five of us created a program for the Georgia Library Association's annual conference, which in 2021 was virtual. So we created a program talking about our culinary literacy here at Gwinnett Libraries. And then we decided to apply for ALA and we were accepted, which none of us, I think, thought we would get accepted on it. But it was really amazing when we found out we were so excited. And so then we worked the next five months to create a program to present at ALA. And one of the great things that happened was we ended up having a room that was completely filled. It was standing room only. And we had a Q&A session that lasted over 20 minutes, which I was shocked at. And I've had several librarians reach out to me asking for copies of our slides, asking for different information about our programs. So it was a great way to get Gwinnett Library's Culinary Literacy Program out to everyone and to show them how it's accessible to any libraries, no matter how small you are, no matter your budget, that type of thing. I know Casey is a pro at conferences, but I know several of you, this was maybe all the rest of you. It was your first conference, maybe even all of you. No, no, Laurie's been to it's always a challenge regardless because you never know what you're going to get. But it is exciting to be recognized in that way and get to talk to other like-minded professionals, maybe even get to talk to some of their managers that might be in the audience that kind of gatekeep their ability to put forth this program, this type of programming for their communities. So uh, one of the things we stressed in our session was that this did grow from something small into something larger. So Wherever you are in the scope of things, whatever you can deliver, you can make it scalable. It doesn't need to be a huge commitment financially or even a huge time commitment, depending on how you want to plan for it to make this happen for the public. So you really can tailor it to fit the the staff time and the, the funds that you have available to make, make this so. This was my first conference, and it was really exciting had been warned how large it was, and I was still shocked and surprised. The presentation itself, what was really impressive to me was the validation that we gave to other librarians, especially school librarians that were having a hard time selling. They had, they had formatted it as cooking programs, so culinary literacy makes it sound more impressive. But they were having a hard time selling it to their uh, their supervisors and showing how this was important to students, to parents, and what the reasons were behind teaching culinary literacy and why we need to have this. You know, so many parents are busy, or they weren't taught by their parents how to how to cook or how to prepare meals. And so there's there's a lack of continuity. And then a lot of us have, you know, our memories are of cooking with our parents or our grandparents or family friends. 
and and those are some of the memories that you just treasure. And so how do how do we get those those memories? How do we create those for our customers going forward? And how do we introduce them to other culinary experiences? So it was really validating for me to help other librarians see the value for or to show the value for their supervisors to to hopefully get some some permission to do the programming. And not only the value, it's the the how to or the the way we've thought out our guidelines, the way we've thought out our boundaries so that we are not doing anything that is going to put us at odds with certifications or food handling or any of that. You know, we don't have any meat in our programming. We don't have anything that can spoil in our programming. That's just an example. We use waivers, those things that we have in effect to kind of outline a lane of acceptable tools and resources to use for these. So stepping back and being creative, like what can we do to deliver this type of knowledge? What can we do to deliver these experiences? Because it's not just about cooking a thing. You know, that's the fun part. (laughs) And a lot of the programmings have something like that, but it really is about the learning piece, the learning in the beginning, middle, end of each program. And I think to add on to what Casey said, part of our outline of our presentation, it wasn't just about teaching culinary literacy. It was other things like how to increase your culinary material circulation in your library. So Lori at HQ, she also discussed not only the picking and the selecting of the cookbooks, but also what we could do as to how we have it presented in the library. So our the way that we shelve it, since it's not dewy, and how you can bring cookbooks or even health nutrition books into your culinary literacy programs in the library to have them for customers to check out readily available right there in your programs. So it really touched on a whole bunch of different things, not just the teaching of culinary stuff as well. Well, those are the things that kind of bounce off each other, that that you can bring the materials to the class to raise your circulation numbers. And then maybe if somebody checks something out, then that will increase your program numbers the next time that that program is offered. So they fortify each other in that way, the program and the circulation. I also pointed out something that I discovered that cookbooks are our highest circulating adult nonfiction item. (laughs) Not surprising at all. People love cookbooks. I do think one of the things that stuck with me really well that Lori Essers had said at one point was the fact that learning how to cook is learning how to provide sustenance for yourself, which is a pretty important part of living. (laughs) You need to be able to, you know, eat and care for yourself. And yes, you can do that with ramen noodles. I eat ramen noodles too, but you can take care of yourself a lot better if you're learning how to cook and eat nutritious foods like fresh vegetables, fresh fruits, and you know whole grains, things like that. Some people just don't have access to that kind of information and being able to be the bridge for them 
through culinary literacy programming, open their eyes to something new, be one more person to tell them, yes, vegetables are good for you. That's not mom or dad, even, you know, with kids is a huge thing. Food is so, so meaningful for people, whether it's you don't have enough of it and you're getting the access to some through the library, through our food drives or something like that, or you have really good experiences with it like we do. We just really enjoy cooking. And so all of my memories from my childhood and even just social outings in general now as an adult, I tie into food. (laughs) I won't go unless it's a social outing involving food. So I think it's one of the most meaningful things that I can do with people. And it's really lovely to share that with the public, for sure. We also created uh, the whole group. We created a video at Five Forks. We used the learning lab there and we created a video that is just teaching knife skills. And when we went to ALA, I had the link shared so that people could actually view the video. They could download it if they wanted it to, so that they can actually use that in a program on how to teach knife skills to people as young as six or seven years old. And the reception of the video was great. You could tell people were very interested in the video. There was a few points where they laughed because you have to have humor in videos. And it just, overall, it was so well-received And I think our learning lab did the most amazing job along with Rebecca because she's an amazing editor. She edited our video to where it looks so professional for teaching knife skills to customers. I'd like to thank all of the staff members who spoke to us today. And I'd also like to thank our listeners. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to participate in Gwinnett County Public Library's culinary programs. Please check them out, check out our books, and we'd love to see you in Branch. You guys have a wonderful day. Thank you, everybody. Flip the Library provides an inside look at Gwinnett County Public Library and brings to light the many ways the library impacts and enriches our customers' lives. Go to gwinnettpl.org slash podcasts to find out more about the library's podcasts and to get new episodes of Flip the Library, follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. If you enjoy the show, don't forget to rate and review it on your podcast app. And keep up to date with the library on social media at Gwinnett Library. Thanks for listening. Connect, learn, and grow with your Gwinnett County Public Library.